the vast majority of stuff that's interesting to me about like group fitness, et cetera, has almost nothing to do with the programming. Um, like for example, I'll, I'll just give a quick one rule of three. Um, so no more than three corrections per person. You have to say each person's name three times every class Ooh. and you have to do something with, so in a martial, it comes from a, my martial arts background. Um, so there's three touches, but that was because in the martial arts, contact with a partner is a big part of the martial arts. So instead of three contacts, as in physically touching the person, uh, three things to do with their tools, implements, whatever they're doing. Right. Like, for example, let's say you're in the strength club and somebody's switching from a 35 to a 45 pound plate. You go and do one side for them. Just like running over. And while you're doing that, be like, oh, is this your first time lifting 135 or, you know, whatever. But it's three, the, the, it's three touches. So no more than three corrections. Say everybody's name three times in a natural way, right? You can't just be like, hey, Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay. Okay, that's one thing done, and that, right? <laughs> Obviously, it's got to be natural. And that one, the three names one has saved my bacon so many times in terms of like remembering people's names that keep coming yeah. back. But it gives that personal touch. Like each person feels like they're part of the class. Uh, and then the three touch. So helping change plates, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is by Kimo Lainen 83 Nutrition will be a fun topic open for a wide range of discussion. Different types of dieting methods like keto, paleo, intermittent fasting, and how they play a role with different types of clients. Also talking about overall thoughts on what can be the most efficient diet for the general population or for a specific individual. Letting this topic roam uh, would, be, uh, would make for a great discussion. I'll start with just one of them. So keto is... Um, no carbohydrates and there's the science behind it that basically you don't give your body any carbohydrates and then your body starts becoming more efficient at burning fat and then the next one mentioned was paleo where you just eat what your ants like what the ancestors like the caveman would but eat. hold on if the packaging of the meal replacement bar says paleo on it then that counts as a substitute for things that your ancestors would have eaten well yeah <laughs> and anything that that can kill you because it's still alive also now is categorized as food. That's all I know about paleo. So like you got to fight the animal until you've defeated it and then you eat it. That's, okay. That's, so that's paleo, my only understanding on paleo. Yeah. So I've, I've never done paleo. Um, it's so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure on the rules, but I didn't know that there was strange rules like that as well. No, it's I, I'm being silly obviously, but I mean, okay. it's, it like seems to were... me, it seems to me, like uh, from my very basic understanding of paleo and keto uh, that it's like these biohacking diets um i have i have trouble with them when they're when they behave sort of like a prescription like a pharmacy prescription yeah like do this thing for 28 days and then you are your body will be better and then you can go back to the way you are behaving and magically when you go back to the way you're behaving you won't suddenly return to the same weight that you were based on what you were eating before because you took this special yeah like it's a special prescription yeah right? and yeah. then the idea of like i'll do intermittent fasting which is a strange, which is interesting if it's a way to help you restrict your calories. But if you eat 12,000 calories a day and you do it between 1 and 1.30 p.m., you are still eating 12,000 calories a day, right? So 
intermittent fasting has been shown, you know, I think there are some longevity benefits that are not completely, um, you know, backed up with science. Um, and then there's also some muscle loss issues, which again is not, not, uh, conclusive. Yeah. But if it's, if it's a way for you to eat less, and you're trying to get into a caloric deficit, then intermittent fasting. And so I didn't state the, the premise clearly. You just set, you set times, you set your feeding times, uh, and then you don't eat outside of those feeding times beyond like water, right? Yeah, Some people so, will do coffee. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so very common to have an eight-hour eating window, let's say from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., or yeah. to do a four-hour eating window. So I actually, I actually love uh, intermittent fasting, but I'll, I'll get onto it at some point. Um, but, but actually the biggest reasons are like what you said, easy to restrict calories. Um, but there's a whole, like I could write a whole book about how, how that actually comes into play, like in terms of willpower and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. Um, so any other, are there any other like big, um, let, well, let's go for like diet fads. Are there any, are there any big diet fads that you guys are seeing that you either like or don't like, like any trends in the fitness industry or that your clients have come to you with? Or that you well, I think like the, I think like the, um, the bigger question here is what was kind of stated in the last part of that question. I mean, I think like if we just maybe start from it, like a theoretical standpoint, like what would the best diet be for any particular individual, right? And I guess it would be the diet that's actually effective as in it's going to get you closer to whatever goal that you might have. And it's actually a diet that you can stick to. Right. And maybe sure. a second part of that is sticking to long term, though I can see, you know, there might be some controversy around that. Maybe for some people, they just want to do a particular diet for a period to, you know, a little bit was Adrian was saying, like, sometimes there are these prescriptive diets like, oh, you know, you do them for a period. And it's supposed to reset you somehow. I don't know if it's true or not. But um, I think like those two pieces you always have to have. Right. It's got to be effective and you got to be able to stick to it adherence yeah adherence is like yeah. the most important thing yeah to me the ideal diet for any client is just whatever diet they can that makes them feel healthy and strong and good about themselves and that's different for everyone you know i know people who went vegan and that changed their life and they love being vegan they feel great they feel sharp mentally sharper you know and that's great I would not, I don't flourish on a vegan diet. I can't, I, my body cannot handle all the lentils, all the tofu, all the soy. My body does not like that. Um, so I could never be vegan, but I would never tell anybody else, oh, don't go vegan. I mean, if that's, and some people, again, it's paleo or it's, you know, like I said, I, I could talk for hours about keto and intermittent fasting. So I, I'm trying not to, because I, I know I've talked about it before, because I was, strict keto, strict intermittent fasting for two, basically two full years. And what that taught me is, yeah, like all of these, I mean, it's one thing if it's a fad diet that, you know, oh, I'm going to go keto for 30 days just to lose 10 pounds for a wedding or an event, you know, that's one thing I feel like that borders more on the, the fad, you know, the unhealthy approaches, but, you know, Keto has, some people like to eat keto because it's, again, th th these are just, I see them as just tools in the toolbox, you know, whatever is the, like, so if, especially if someone has a goal of being in a calorie deficit, there's a million different ways to be in a calorie deficit. And for some people being on keto and eating low carb, high fat, that helps them adhere to that calorie deficit because they're more satiated. And also I read something really interesting and I wish I could remember who said it and the specific 
verbiage they use, but basically they said that a lot of people can fit into two categories. Like some people need restrictions and hard limits on what they can and cannot have, and they feel safe within those boundaries. Like some people need that and, and it's not unhealthy. It's not an obsession. It's truly just, you know, they cannot, they personally feel like they can't just have one cookie because if they have one cookie, they need 10 cookies, you know, whereas there are some people that, that the idea of restricting things and, um, and uh, things like that, that's just too much for them. And that pushes them to binge and, and not adhere to it. So they need to have a, a more flexible plan that allows them one cookie a day or ice cream a couple times a week or pizza, you know, and, and they, they emotionally and mentally can handle that. They can stop themselves after one or two pieces of pizza and feel fine, you know, and so really you kind of have to figure out where your client is or even for yourself, you have to figure out what category do you fall into? Yeah. You know? I can think of no, no bigger suffering than getting a pack of cookies and eating only one. Exactly. So, so <laughs> you may be in that category of people that you feel better about your nutrition when you can set rules for yourself. And I feel like right now there's a trend when you talk about like what I see a lot of trainers talking about nutrition and really talking down about anything that restricts you. And you're right. I think saying like, okay, I'm never going to have pizza again in my entire life, or I'm never going to eat cookies again. It's like, well, yeah, that's crazy. But like, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying like, you know what, I have some body goals I'm working on. And you know, I, I'm one of those people I, I, you know, if I get a pizza, I have to eat the whole pizza. I can't stop after one or two. So I'm going to choose to just not, not even introduce, you know, I'm just going to cut pizza out for a while. I'm going to cut cookies and cakes and whatever and work on my body goals. Um, and technically is that restriction? Sure. But like restriction, I think does work for some people who need, does, does that make sense? Yeah. And it's like, it's like the structure creates the freedom. Like if you want to be free to choose what body weight you are, then like, it doesn't make sense to have no structure in the diet. Right. And um, also so. I feel like in a so special, I guess, I guess so if we're just going to talk about like weight loss and calorie deficits, you know, and I know, I think Daniel and I think Fred, you, Freddie, you mentioned this, that, you know, some of these diets that are meant to like reset you, um, I think of it less as a reset and more of a, you have to relearn how to feed yourself. So uh, there are a lot of people who don't even know where to start with their nutrition. And in their minds, the way to eat healthy is I have to eat salads three times a day and I can only have apples and celery for snacks and that's the only way to be healthy and because they, they just don't know um, and I feel like sometimes these these diets like keto like intermittent fasting or paleo things like that it can be a tool to retrain yourself on how to feed yourself because some of these diets once you once you eat paleo or keto and and you know and if you do keto right if you're you know eating sticks of butter and bacon and if basically if you're eating nothing but butter bacon and cheese on keto you're gonna feel like shit so if you do keto properly and you're focusing on lean proteins veggies some cheese uh high fiber fruits you're gonna feel great you know your body does run efficiently on those types of nutrient dense foods so 
What well, I I, I'd like to object. Uh, there's really good data that if you're an endurance athlete, uh, that's wrong. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I can I can bring I can bring that out to you. So if you're interested in long runs, in riding your bike for three hours on the weekend, in being a long distance athlete, uh, keto is not going to serve you. And okay, that, no. yeah, so there's some good right. signs for that. Um, and uh, I want to interject just a little bit as well because my big pet peeve for dieting is that it should be well, it it should be goal focused or lifestyle focused. So if you come to me and say, I want to look, I have a client right now, their 40th birthday, they're going to be in Miami and they're going to be in a bikini. So there is diet and exercise work for that day or for that, for that vacation. And the diet and exercise work for that vacation is nothing like a lifestyle diet. So I think that it's important to look at what the needs are of the person, because if they are looking for a lifestyle diet and you're doing something like paleo or keto or intermittent fasting, right. there should be an analysis of whether that fits. And if it does fit, like for example, keto, if you have any sort of history of uh, heart disease or any sort of heart related issues, probably is a bad lifestyle choice for that person, possibly a risky choice for losing lots of weight, but you should just take that into account uh, when, when doing uh, keto. So just, just like a little bit of pushback on a couple of those things. But oh, otherwise, I completely understand. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and, and, and just to finish up, um, yeah, it's just that I feel like then sometimes if, so, right, so going off of what Adrian said, if, if you're going on these types of eating plans for a goal, you know, my goal is I want to lose 60 pounds this year, or, you know, for the extreme clients, I need to lose 100 pounds in the next two years or something like that. Sometimes then going on those slightly more restrictive diets where you have, you know, set things that, you know, that you don't eat, then once you reach your goal weight, you can slowly start to introduce, you know, things like carbs back into your diet and learn, and then learn how to make it a lifestyle of just like healthy eating. And again, I'm not the only one, like I'm on the keto subreddit and the keto subreddit for women. And I'm not the only one that has transitioned off of keto and now is like easily maintaining their weight and now eating carbs and eating stuff like that. Like it really, it taught me moderation and it taught me, you know, um, that yeah, like eating a milkshake, like I can't even like drink them, you know, I can't eat like heavy sugar things anymore. I literally feel ill. So I don't want those things. So I only want one cookie. I only want one brownie or something, you know, like it, it taught me, it did it sort of reset, it reset my palate. Yeah. You know, intermittent fasting, um, to go off what, you know, Adrian brought up about intermittent fasting. Yeah, like intermittent fasting isn't magic. You know, you're right. You can't eat 12,000 calories, but just restrict your eating window to an hour. That's not going to work. But yeah, it reset my hunger cues. So I eat when I'm hungry, you know, and that tends to be in about an eight hour window. Like I naturally intermittent fast now. Um, but I mean, there are some days I'm hungry outside of my normal eating window and I eat. It's not a big deal, but yeah, intermittent fasting can be a great tool to teach you how to like, you know, keep your calories, you know, within a certain time frame and reduce things like late night binging and, and stuff like that, that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, I think like keto, keto, like the very fact that you are cutting out most people's like problem foods are sugar, like are sugary foods 
or, or like let's add in wheat food, you know, pizza and stuff like that. Um, so you cut all that stuff out and that's just, that can be such an improvement in people's diet. And, and like you're saying, I like intermittent fasting, whenever I'm cutting, I, I do it. Um, I, yeah, I thought, I thought the, the stuff on hormones wasn't conclusive. But I haven't looked it up recently. Um, I probably should, seeing as I'm like dedicate my cuts to it. Um, but yeah, no, intermittent fasting, like not what I find with intermittent fasting is it's actually easier to eat nothing than it is to like pick and choose the the right foods. Does that does that make sense to you guys? Do you do you I, I would I would imagine quite a lot of people disagree with that. But I actually yeah, find not eating. I, I come from, uh, so uh, my clients, again, are sort of usually late 30s, 40s and later. Um, and so yeah, extreme, that would be probably considered quite as extreme for them. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I do flexible dieting and the whole purpose of it is to train for the body that you want. So... Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking to be, it's not a very difficult calculator. You can get like your BMR numbers and your activity level numbers. So, you know, let's say you're 40 pounds overweight, um, and you want to lose that and your correct calorie intake for your, uh, size, maybe 2,200. So just start eating 2,200 with flexible dieting and you will lose the weight and get to your target. Uh, if, and the part if they that's can follow the calories. Because I think I find clients like, yeah, I, I always mention fasting, but I only mention it. I never like push it. But of course, calori calories of course. are difficult for, for like a layman. You know, calories are, are difficult to count, right? I, I don't know if I agree with that with the way the technology is available to help to assist mm. with that, that it's difficult. Um, you know, the, the, the goal at the end, like most new habits and things, is to start to create a rhythm where where what you're eating is appropriate to the lifestyle that you have and the body that you want um, to the point where the plate of food that you put in front of you naturally starts to be appropriate to your goals. So, you know, I have one client who's just cutting down the amount of food on their plate, uh, but they eat all the same things uh, that they used to eat. Uh, thankfully there were, so there's of course problem, there's like with keto, you can't just eat sticks of butter right? With calorie counting, you can't just be like, you know what? Um, I'm eating 1800 calories to lose weight right now, but I refuse to give up my 1000 calorie milkshake from McDonald's, right? The Frosties or whatever they're called. I refuse to give those up. So that leaves me 800 of good, nutri good oh, nutritious God, yeah. food and a thousand. And I, every morning I have that, that, right. That, that me that would break the system that I use for the flexible dieting system uh, that I use. Uh, but would that person be allowed like a, a couple ounces of that? Absolutely. Right. Like if they wanted to have, if they, if, if every day they're having some sort of like delicious frosty sugary beverage in a very small portion and they're counting calories, they'll get to their target weight. It's sustainable. That's the main thing for me, right. Is, is, uh, you can train your eye, your hand and your natural habits to be preparing food that's of appropriate portion size and appropriate mix of food. And so the part that I, I try to, I, I try to skip what you're saying, Lindsay, about like do, do keto and this intermittent fasting. And then when you're done all of that at your target weight, then you start to learn how to have carbs. Now you have to learn a new lesson, right? From day one, minute one, you're learning the right meal to eat for the rest of your life. And you are over and over and over again, repeating that. 
What does that look like? I cannot eat half a medium pizza anymore. I can have one slice of pizza and a salad. I'm not going to drizzle. I'm not going to put like Caesar salad dressing on it. I'm going to put a tahini based dressing, one third of the calories. Okay, awesome. And you do that over and over and over again. And when you hit your target weight, what changes about what you're doing every day? Nothing. The whole time you've been eating appropriate sized meals that are the right number of calories. Um, and that's, uh, this is my, my big difficulty in my experience, which is very limited. I've only seen so many clients is this idea of like, we're going to do a until we get to your goal. And then you're going to go back to a different life. And so at that point, whatever this new different life is in terms of what you eat, that's a whole new thing that you need to learn, right? Like I cut off, I cut out burgers, I cut out pizza, I cut out all those things. Awesome. I dropped down, I'm shredded, I'm 180, my six pack is there. This is awesome. Now how am I going to eat for the next four decades, yeah. right? So you have to start a new thing. Right. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my two cents. It's a very tricky thing. Um, I'm coaching four clients through my flexible eating, my dieting methodology and the vast majority of my effort and, and training has to do with decision-making. It yeah. doesn't have to do with what food, what shape the food is in processed, unprocessed, paleo, vegan. No, no. It's about what's going on here when it's time to eat. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, and uh, relative to what you were saying, or relevant to what you were saying, um, you, you were saying, um, I don't know if this was on purpose, you were saying like little bits of stuff every day. So you were saying like um, the, the little bit of, uh, I don't think it was milkshake, but it was the sugary drink. Whatever, your sugary drink or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so, so actually, don't you think, I've, I've found personally that it's better to actually have a day where you can, okay, let's go with pizza, a day where you can have the whole let's say half pizza or whole pizza at the end of the week, because if you start having sugar, you thought you found no. That's a complete opposite. Yeah. That, really? that's, that's sort of the like up, down the swing. It's sort of the, the, the example, the great example of that is like, okay, your, your calorie budget for the week is 2000 per day. I'm just using easy numbers to, to make it easy, right? 2000 per week. So that means I got seven days in the week. That's 14,000. Okay. 8,000 is Saturday. Um, I'm going to have a wild Saturday. So that leaves me with 6,000. So that's a thousand a day for the rest of the week. Um, and, and so that's a very extreme example, yeah, but what, was, what it's yeah. not. So the, the mission statement is to create, uh, and, uh, to train the eye, to train the hands, to train the stomach, all of those things, your natural impulse is to put together a meal that is appropriate for your lifestyle and for the body that you want. So having these extreme episodes detracts from that, right? Like, unless, uh, unless you actually think that you, in your life, you're just going to be sort of like the stoic Monday to Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, you're going to party. And that's like what you plan to do for your whole life. You're going to maintain that that caloric balance and the nutritions and micronutrients, all that kind of stuff seems unlikely, but I feel like it, it sort of, uh, I guess, the challenge that I see more often isn't so much like, okay, now I need to cut to reveal some muscle or now I need to, you know, uh, bulk and cut to gain 10 pounds of lean muscle mass or, or any of the, the main challenge I'm seeing is like, I am living my very busy life. I can squeeze in a couple of hours of fitness a week and whatever I eat has to be appropriate for me to feel great for, you know, so that at 80, I'm not in a wheelchair or diabetic or any of those things. So it's, it's this whole steady as she goes, 
uh, eat the foods that you love, flexible dieting, the portion control, calorie counting at the beginning to kind of understand your plate. And then hopefully it becomes sustainable for life. Yeah, well, this is interesting because I'm, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really disagree with anything you've said, but the, um, like my, my um, mindset that I try and, that I try and impart onto clients is, I mean, it's just, there's, there's, there's always something that comes up. So eight, of course not 8,000 calories, but a thousand calories at, let's say their friggin' sister's birthday meal out, I think it's just gotta be in there. So, so, or let's even say 1000, let's see, let's even say 2000 calories because they're drinking or something. I feel like that's got to be in there for the week. And there's no way that they can do the, um, the, the small step there. There's just no way. So I feel like living, at least leaving the option on the table of having like a really like big, like splurge meal, but still within the calories for like that one day. So like, as in, it's just a day where They'll eat, they'll eat foods that weren't quite as on point, but they're not doing like 4,000 calories. They're doing like, let's say, you know, just like 500 over and they can actually fit in that like splurge thing. Whereas they just, they physically wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. 500, of course, for sure. Uh, so when you look at uh, Lane Norton is, is super famous on, on Instagram I'm, for I'm being fan, kind of yeah. an ass. Uh, but he also has science. So his meta-analysis or diet. So people who have been able to sustain their diet in the three-year mark, one of the biggest indicators of success is that they've learned to plan for situations mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not 12, 15 AM as in midnight, December 24th. And you're like, oh shit, I better think about what I'm going to eat on Christmas to not ruin my diet. Like, when do you know that Christmas is coming up? <laughs> all the time, all the time, right? So, so plan for that day, right? Like the sister's birthday kind of thing, a hundred percent for the sister's birthday. Let's say that they love a particular restaurant that's like really high caloric or whatever. Totally, you know what? I'm going to go into calorie counting. I'm going to do a 250 deficit for ten days. I'm going to do 250 deficit every day for ten days, and then I am going to do that splurge for that day. And so I have my sister's birthday, the nine or so big vacation days that exist, the 11, 12, there's 12 meals in the year, which are not your sort of standard healthy portion size. I don't think that's going to break the methodology that I'm describing. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, and, and, and then the benefit, the flip side benefit of it is that hopefully it gets you to the point where you like, let's say you're just digging into the fridge for some leftovers at 10 PM after a brutal day, you've got the natural instincts that once you start to load up that plate and start eating, you're like, okay, this is enough, right? You, you've created this pattern, right? And I, and, and it, it really affected me, uh, one or two clients where, where, you know, I'd be trying to eat that third slice of pizza and I'd start to feel miserable because it'd been for so long that I had been eating a better portion size and, and also feeling miserable afterwards. And, and so anyway, I think I've talked enough about that, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Lindsay, no, you honestly, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to back up what Adrian was saying that, yeah, I feel like I, I try to tell people that, you know, if you, it, you know, if we just look at like the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the time, you know, if you aim for 80% of the time, your eating plan is on point, you know, you're eating nutrient-dense foods in the right portions, that you should be able to then afford that 20% of the time where you meet, you know, 
it's a, it's a party and you want to eat a little bit extra, you know, and things like that. And yeah, that's exactly, you know, whenever, you know, people ask me, you know, what does it look like after you lose all the weight, you know, how do you stop it from gaining it all back? And, you know, I try to explain like what I do is, yeah, it's basically sort of what, what Adriana said and what you've said, Freddie, that like, you know, oh, if I know ahead of time, oh, Friday night, we're getting pizza and we're watching a movie. Well, then I know that I'm not going to get coffee cake for breakfast from my favorite coffee shop on Thursday or Wednesday. You know, I'm going to eat on point, eat high protein, nutrient dense, high fiber throughout the week, you know, and I'm going to minimize, you know, I'm not going to get takeout maybe Monday through Thursday because I know Friday night we're going to have pizza. Maybe I'll have a couple of cocktails, you know, because I know if I get takeout let's say Monday and Wednesday, and then I also eat pizza on Friday, I'm going to feel like crap. And I'm not going to feel like, I'm not going to feel good in the gym, you know? And so that's, you know, I, I try to tell people that it's like, you know, you want to get to a point where splurging like that and really binging at like your sister's birthday thing or on Thanksgiving, that it, it really makes you feel like garbage. Um, Cause I also tell them too, there was a time when, um, this was probably like right when I got to like my lowest weight ever. And my husband and I went out to this restaurant and like, you know, normally when I go out, I get like a bunless burger and a side salad, you know, like nice and healthy. But I was just like in a mood where I'm like, you know what? Screw it. You know, I've been really good for so long. I'm going to get like a fried chicken sandwich and some French fries and I'm going to have a beer like, I'm going to eat all the stuff that I haven't eaten in, like, two years, and I'm going to enjoy myself. And I did, and then I literally, I, like, couldn't sleep that night. I felt like garbage. Like, I literally almost threw up when I got home. Like, just for, my body couldn't handle it anymore. So now I know, you know, like, you should get to a point where you're so consistent with your nutrition that, like, eating something like a, you know, then, you know, you'll get to say, you'll say, like, okay, I'll eat the fried chicken sandwich, but I'll get a side salad with it. You know, I can't do the fried chicken and the French fries and the beer. I can do, I can pick one or two and have that, you know, without feeling awful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I've definitely got stuff to say, but Daniel, please. Yeah, yeah. I was going to add, I mean, I think um, Adrian and Lindsay, I, th I think you two actually agree on the bigger picture right here. I mean, I think what Adrian is, is arguing here is, you know, you want to get to that point with diet that you're developing the proper intuition and the proper judgments surrounding food, right? So you don't have to live in this sort of restrictive world anymore, right? You can listen to your body. It's a little bit kind of like the intuitive eating anti-diet or so. I don't know how many any of you follow that. Um, okay. and, you know, I, I have some qualms with that one as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is like the ultimate point you want to get there. But I think the big question is like, how do you get there? Because you can't just be like, oh, listen to your body, trust your intuition. Well, if you haven't developed that intuition, how in the world is it supposed to play out? And I think for some people, the way that you train yourself and the way that you learn that intuition might be through these periods of restriction, you know? And I, I think like a, um, a really obvious example of that is something like your ins insulin sensitivity right? You're going to become more and more sensitive. You're going to become desensitized to the sugars, right? If you're eating a lot of sugars all the time, you become really um, um, desensitized to it, right? But then if you've cleaned up your diet for a good period of time, suddenly your insulin response is going to be much more sensitive. And you might actually feel really sick eating some really sugary food, right? But it's going to take some time before you get there and your body and your mind are back 
on the same page. So that's my take. Yeah, yeah for, sure. for sure. Yeah, I think but, it's it's um, just a just real real quick one. Um, I think we, we've got to, and I think we've all been doing this a bit, but we, we need to keep this in the context of, or we should it be valuable to keep this in the context of people who, you know, like, like Adrian was saying, people who aren't that committed, people who aren't, who have failed their diets and people who are new. And that, that's why, that, that's, that's the main reason why I keep the, the cheat thing in, which by the way, I, I try and convince people not to do, but it's just an option that's there for them because I've just seen too many situations where people fail and they feel like a failure. So it's like, you know, it's built in that they can, that they can do that. Mm -hmm. And so my how to get there is is calories and calories out. So calorie counting. Oh, for sure. Like calorie counting is just it's just it's ridiculously hard to do anything without it, really, isn't it? Um, and and then you know you you find people. I have found people grow incredibly aware. So I have two clients. I have four clients now running through my my healthy eating program. Uh, but the first two, in about week two or week three were constantly four to 500 calories under for their day, which is as bad for as being 500 over, hmm. right? Um, it's because again, their goal was not a specific weight by a specific day, was a lifestyle eating at a certain target to get their body weight to, you know, a place where they could perform, uh, the actors and singers and such. Um, and so anyway, long story short, the, so on those days where they're really under our next, they basically had a whole bunch of snacks and they had to, at the end of the day, snack to get their numbers up to the correct number because they are so far under by the end of the day. And then they're like, well, wait a second. Why am I having guac and chips, popcorn, and a little piece of a chocolate bar every night to try to get to 1,800? Maybe a half, a half chicken breast and a tablespoon of rice was not an appropriate dinner, right? And so by learning the calorie counting of everything, they started being like, well, you know what? Okay, we can have some mashed potatoes. There can be a little bit of butter in the mashed potatoes. We could have the chicken. You know, there's the mushroom gravy on it. That's a low calorie alternative to actual gravy, all those kinds of things. And then you have this really fulfilling dinner. And then at the end of the day, your, your snack budget is 100 calories. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to have like a palm full of popcorn during my dinner. Um, and then over the weeks, it starts being like, oh, I just had a breakfast and I feel great. And at the end of the day, oh, I've just had 2000 calories and I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm hungry. I'm drinking more water than I normally drink. I am dieting, but I feel like, sorry, I'm eating to lose weight at the moment in a deficit, uh, but I feel good about everything that I ate throughout the day. And that's the education portion. And, and so, yeah, in the program, I talk about uh, conscious competence versus unconscious competence, which is exactly what you said, Daniel. Uh, and so the program starts with conscious competence. Can you at a meal consciously and competently create a meal that keeps you on your plan? All right. And then one day after repeating thousands of times, Right, just like most of us probably can unconsciously and competently do a push up. We've done it so many times that you're not like, okay, that's my okay. You just drop and do a push up because you're already unconsciously competent at that activity. Um, and that is the end goal. But I guess the restriction then would be the calorie target. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's Absolutely. still, you know, you're still building an intu intuition in terms of some sort of restrictive diet. And it's just that, you know, instead of the diet being, we're not going to have any carbs, it's you're going to hit X number of calories every day. Exactly. Exactly. And over time, you learn how to how to 
build those meals. Like for example, if you do it, if you do it enough, you could, you could probably get to within, you know, 50 calories of your 600 calorie dinner without counting once you've done it thousands of times. Especially if you're the type of person that typically only has like, you know, eight to 10 meals that they, that you eat with any frequency. Yeah. Right? You just know, like, I don't have a, I don't have a big, I don't have a big menu bank of things that I can cook for myself. So once I've, once I've done all my ma major meals several hundred times and counted them, I can probably eyeball it. And then you could grab the scale and the calculator and you'd be like, okay, you wrote this in your journal as 600 calories. It's 617. Right. And if you're already at your target weight, that 17 is entirely no, like, don't even worry about it, but you're absolutely right. There is restriction and there is hard calorie counting at the beginning and like developing those skills. Yeah. Not easy is what I'm trying to say. It's not easy. One, one thing I like to tell people too, to help put it into perspective, because I think um, just like what you said, Adrian, that sometimes you get clients that are four or 500 calories under, which is almost worse than being, you know, 500 calories over, because I think so many people think that when you're restricting calories and you're trying to be in a calorie deficit, you just have to eat as little as possible. You know, your meal should be a hard boiled egg and some celery. And it's like, no, like it can be balanced. It can be fulfilling. Um, but one thing I like to say that really like, puts it into perspective for people is that eating, eating a hundred calories a day over what you burn, you'll gain 10 pounds a year. An extra 300 calories over what you burn every day, well, you'll gain 30 pounds a year. So if we flip that, then that means if you just cut out a hundred calories a day, like if you don't change your activity, you know, let's, you know, if you're just maintaining your weight, you've been maintaining the same weight for a while. If you just cut a hundred calories a day out of your diet, you will lose 10, roughly 10 pounds in a year. If you only cut 300 calories, you'll lose 30 pounds in a year. You know, again, assuming that you're generally maintaining your weight, you know, and so it's like, you don't need to cut, you don't need to be in a thousand calorie deficit a day to see results. Like it can just be, you know, a hundred calories is nothing. That's a tablespoon of olive oil. That's actually, that's more like 120 calories. That's a tablespoon of butter. That's, you know, a tablespoon of mayo on your sandwich. You know what I mean? So even just doing, making small changes, like switching from mayo to mustard, that's 100 calories. So like if you just cut out 50 calories out of every meal, you'll, you may lose 10 pounds in a year. You know, it doesn't have to be this big drastic thing where you're just restricting yourself with every meal or even 300 calories, like 30 pounds in a year that you lose, that's, that's pretty good, you know? And if all that means is you just have to skip out on one candy bar or what else is roughly 300 calories, that's, um, but yeah, really, yeah. you know, that's, that's what I try to do to put it into perspective instead of, you know, making people think that they have to make this giant shift in their diet, you know, but, but that's what the current diet culture tells people they have to do, you know, is like, oh, to lose weight, yeah, you got to eat nothing but grapefruit and salads and bare, you know, chicken breasts with no seasoning, no sauces, no nothing. That's the only way to lose weight. And it's just like, no, mm. that's, you know, it's one way, but not the only way. Mm. So I'd, I'd love to blow this open a little bit and discuss alcohol in the, in the context of clients. So um, let, let's uh, well let's let's uh, let's add, let's make it uh, you know somebody who drinks on a Friday and just gets absolutely wasted. Would you, for example, tell them well actually this isn't going to work, 
or would you work it in? How would you work it in? Uh, and then you've got to deal with the hangover too. I'll, uh, I'll give you my success story. Oh, yeah. So the guy's like, okay, well, I can do everything, but I'm having, I'm going to a punk show every weekend and drinking 10 beers every weekend. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. We, we worked out their, their uh, like 20, mid, late 20s male, 160 pounds, something like that. I don't have the numbers anymore, but we just worked mm. out how many, uh, their road work, how many K they have to jog. So I was like, all right, oh, before Friday, you got to jog this many kilometers. That's funny. You can have your 10 beers. That is uh, funny. I think it was month three, they were at five beers. They're like, oh, <laughs> I think I can live on, I can think I can live my life on five beers because I, I refuse to run 23K a week. It was something like that. It was in the 20s. Yeah. Because the math is just horrible uh, in terms of like calories in versus calories run out. Run per beer. Oh my God. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like how long do you have to run per, I kind of want to start Googling it when somebody else is talking to just <laughs> trying to remind myself. It would be like 2.5K for a beer. Yeah. It's like, it's bad, right? Yeah. It's bad. Especially if you're a distance runner and that's already something where you're already super efficient. Mm. right so it's not even difficult for them to run like they love running but then they hated running anyway so that's what <laughs> that was my success story it's like okay you keep the alcohol here's how you work for it and then the rest of the week was reasonable balanced healthy foods i mean that is that is a, a great solution actually um like um I mean, not completely viable in any situation, but certainly I guess you could get people, you know, cycling and stuff like that. Um, and that's a really good middle ground because, yeah, I've been I've been tackling this with somebody who's who's like, look, I'm not going to give up alcohol. And I've been like, look, that's fine. And they're, she's happy to calorie count it. Um, but in my head, it's like it's not just the calories and the alcohol. It's the willpower when you're drunk. It's the carb cravings oh, yeah. the next day. It's yeah, all yeah, this yeah. shit. So um, but that's that is a. That, I mean, that covers the majority of it, though, from a calorie perspective. That's awesome. I was lucky because they weren't the type of person that would then drunk and go and eat the poutine at 4 a.m. Yeah. Right? Because if, if that was also happening, then the, it doesn't matter if it's 23 or 33K road work. It would, it would you know, yeah. it's probably like another 900. It would just spiral <laughs> so much. It would spiral so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, I was lucky that the person only went and drank beer. Nice. <laughs> and you have a very valid point that that if that behavior leads to other things, then yeah, absolutely, it's going to fall apart. Mm. No, so, so the, a good the method one, for dealing with it. So the one thing that I'll counter that, just because I've worked with a few people in the past who had um, kind of disordered um, uh, disordered behavior surrounding exercise, is that you start getting into territory of oh, you can just you know outrun mm -hmm. this bad diet or something so i say it, it very much will depend on the individual as well you know you don't want to start creating that sort of unhealthy relationship okay well let me just have this many beers and then i'm just going to exercise like crazy and that will just cancel it out you know is that partly what you're saying there is is definitely true adrian but is is the client going to be able to take that information and actually implement it in, in a healthy way is a whole nother question yeah. yeah, agreed. A lot of lot of things there. They were already a distance runner, mm. uh, distance oh, runner. Yeah. So they came they came to me for strength work, strength and conditioning work. Uh, we also learned that they spent eighty percent of their time standing on one leg, which had led to a whole bunch of imbalances, which were causing issues. It's just think of that hip lean that some people do when they're standing, uh -huh. they're talking, right? Yeah, we yeah. figured out that they were always doing that hip lean, like it had become a habit. 
And so that's why they were having pain when running because muscles on one side were stronger, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, long story short, to, to kind of really agree with what you're saying there is that that the solution that I gave there was very specific to that person. Uh, yeah, somebody who already like liked road work, just uh, was already a distance runner, um, and in, and could totally enjoy it, and we were trying to fit it with their life. You know, if they were somebody that loved swimming uh, and their joints were healthy and they were a, a swimmer and they're like, they want to put in two glasses of wine, like 10 beers was a lot. That was an extreme situation. Mm -hmm. But if they want to put in two glasses of wine and that means another session at the pool and they're doing it in a healthy fashion, uh, I think it is it is something that you can, you can incorporate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. So I, I track my food with a, a system. It's called Avatar Nutrition. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's actually, I wish I knew all the science behind it, but they claim to be super smart. And um, who is it? If you, you like check in every week with your weight, and your body fat percentage, and then it'll adjust your macros based on what your goals are, whether that's maintenance, reverse dieting, fat loss, muscle gain. It's really awesome. A lot of my like super athlete friends use it, like friends who do triathletes, stuff like that. So or Avatar. You said it's cool. Avatar. Ava Avatar Nutrition. Yeah. Oh, and cool. so what they do with alcohol is so they, so like a glass of wine, like if you were to log it into like my fitness pal, uh, you know, five ounce glass of red wine will log in at about 120 calories and like five carbs, right? But Avatar Nutrition is like, well, hold on a second. So if each carb is four calories, then how does that add up to 120 calories? That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, then, then technically a glass of wine should only be 20 calories, right? If it's five carbs for a glass of red wine. So what Avatar does is it counts. So what would that be? Let me. Well, it counts so the calories from alcohol as, as like sugar. I think that's a good method. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So 120, so if it's 120 calories divided by four, then it counts one glass of wine as 30 carbs. Yeah, yeah. Even technically it's only five carbs, but they're like, well, where are the calories coming from then? Well, so, it's alcohol, isn't it? So yeah, I think. Yeah. It's alcohol. So, so it counts the calories in the alcohol. So, so yeah, so I know that if, when I'm tracking, if I want to fit in a glass of wine, I can, but that just means I'm going to need to have a low carb dinner. Yeah. You know? So I'm exchange I'm for carbs. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, all right, if I really want to have a glass of wine or two, maybe I count for the calories. And that means maybe I'm having a bunless burger and some broccoli. And then I, I balance it out with, with my wine, you know, in, in the same fashion that maybe someone who knows, okay, I, I want to have dessert. So I'm going to have a lower, like I'm going to have a piece of cheesecake or something. And they know that and maybe they will make, you know, they'll choose to have, like I said, a lower carb dinner, higher protein, higher fiber, you know, and then they'll balance that out, you know, to, with the sugar from the dessert that they know they want to eat. Yeah. So, Do you know what the justification is behind counting it as a carb versus counting it as a fat? Actually, so that's interesting what Avatar does. Avatar actually lets you choose whether you want, so, um, so when I go to log like a glass of wine, mm -hmm. uh, it will say, I go to a special tab that's that just for just for tracking alcohol. And so let's say a five ounce glass of Merlot, you know, it'll say 120 calories um, and then it'll say 30 carbs, but there's actually a little slider 
on the app. So it'll say like, do you want 50% of the calories to go towards carbs or and fat? Or do you want all the oh, calories? Interesting. To go carbs? Do you want all the calories to go towards fat? So if, cool, I'm having, cool. yeah, so if I'm having a day where my carbs are already kind of high, but my fat is low, I'll put those alcohol calories into fat and then it's balanced. So, so yeah. I think, I think the, the scientific basis why most people snap it to uh, carbs or sugars is because your body responds to it most similar, like the most similar thing that it, you could say it was, is uh, uh, like the, the way that your body's reacting to it. The most similar thing is sugar, definitely compared to mm -hmm. fat. Chris, I, I think you were going to say something at some point. Or am I putting you on the spot for no reason? Oh, no, um, I was just going to say, because I, like, I worked in a, a bar for like the past two years. So on like a Friday night, people will come in like order a big meal. But then they would always like order like um, the most minimal alcohol they could. So it's usually like spirit. And then they would ask for a diet tonic, which might be like 20 calories less than a regular one. And a really popular drink that I've, I didn't, I've never heard of it before, but a really popular drink is called um, a skinny bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and Do you know what it is? It's just like vodka and like a little bit of soda. Like a little, a tiny little bit of soda water, just like carbonated water. Mm. Just so they can have the alcohol, but as like little calories as possible. Yeah. And, and I've seen quite a lot of people have like, vodka and water just to, even, <laughs> just to dilute it and have even less calories yeah at that point though it's like just like diet drinks have almost no calories in it's like just have the diet drink i mean that's my that's my thought on it if you're having the vodka like have the two calories of the lemonade yeah, but, but yeah, that's that's funny yeah just like the lengths people will go through just to kind of cook calories and i'm like i, I even said to a few loads of people like are you are you are you seriously having water in it and <laughs> What else, like, so, I like to tell yeah. people that it's usually worth it just to have like I, I spent way too much money on this fancy wine that was supposed to be like lower calorie lower carb because I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna like cut some calories and you know no it tasted awful like I literally it was undrinkable tasted like straight vinegar and I was so mad. I literally dumped them all out because I'm not kidding. They were undrinkable. Like I even tried to like for, no, I'm just like with alcohol, like, yeah, it's just like what you said. Like, are you sure you really just want to have vodka and soda water? Are you sure you don't want like a splash of cranberry juice? You know, you want like 10 calories worth of cranberry juice just to sweeten it. Like you'll, you'll enjoy your life so much more. And I've seen yeah. it play out so many times where the person does the diet drink. They do the, the you know, the, the skinny bitch. They do, they do the three skinny bitches. And it's like on the walk home, they're, they're a little bit like, you know, they're a little bit tipsy now. So they're going to the kebab van, you know. So that's, that's a funny side of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes it is worth it. I, I mean, people usually have pretty strong feelings about what their drink of choice is, but I mean, sometimes it is worth it to explain to people that there are lower calorie drink options and higher calorie drink options, and it can make a substantial difference, right? So if you have something like a beer that's 150 calories versus your vodka soda, which is going to have more like 100 calories, I mean, pretty significant difference right there. That's going to add up, especially if you're going to be someone who's going to have a few drinks or, you know, then you start talking about like cocktails and stuff like that, which could have you know, even more calories than yeah. a beer. So I think a lot of people just aren't aware of that so much. Yeah, um, the calories per unit can be drastic, like ridiculously different, like you're saying, beer yeah. versus spirits. Yeah, yeah.
types of fitness business models and the language used. Uh, so I'll keep going with it. The, the most confusing thing I see these days is online training versus personal training. Online could be anything. In my opinion, not all online training is equal. And if that is confusing for us, imagine how confusing it is for the public on market. So um, I guess, I guess um, if, if anybody wants to take the different types of fitness business models and how you differentiate between, between uh, say for example, online uh, versus PT. So I might, I mean, not massively because I've kind of just started this business model and I don't have any clients for it yet because I'm just, I think started like a month ago, two months ago, whatever. Um, but Can I'm you go just, a little bit nearer the mic, uh, Chris? Sorry. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, Thanks, man. So, um, yeah, I, so I've started trying to solely focus on online training. So coming out of the pandemic, I probably won't go back to doing like in-person personal training. I'm going to try and keep it all online. Um, but I'm not going to do it as a, um, like kind of over Zoom, like you still have an hour with me over Zoom. It'll be more a, I give you your plan we have like a weekly check-in i give you you know your calorie goals you know basically everything you would with a you know a client anyway just without that hour you know one session two sessions three sessions every week so that's the kind of online coaching. so that's like coaching not training yeah, is what so i'd call that into like online coaching is which is what uh, most people would call themselves an online coach and that's the kind of business model i'm trying to go more for mm -hmm. Nice. Do you have any, so slight pushback. Do you have any way to prevent somebody from exercising themselves into serious injuries? Um, I think that is one of the, um, like kind of a bit more downside to it because obviously I can't be there to, you know, correct any form. Um, but a lot of the ways I've seen people get around it is just, getting people to record videos of, the, of themselves and just kind of, you know, bringing that up, like, um, throughout the week or in the weekly check-ins. That is one of the more downsides, but it's... Um, ooh, um, it's more... Yeah, it's, it's less technique-focused, I would say, and more nutrition and kind of, like, weight loss-based that I've seen more concentrated on anyway yeah and then you split the difference with the form videos yeah um yeah so so i would i would um split up i'll, I'll just make a couple quick distinctions i would uh, do distinction like we were saying training versus coaching and then it would be online versus um in real life and then it would be group versus one-on-one uh, -on -one. so all quite quite obvious um categories really and then it's like a what would you call it it's like a chart where you have them on uh, each axis and then so you've got so you so you've got all the combinations so you've got online coaching then you've got in real life coaching and they're both one-on-one -on -one. then you've got both of them for group and then you've got all of them for training so those are my three biggest distinctions that i can think of so just, I'm curious about you, what you're saying about training versus coaching. Mm. Um, so 
because I, I I have a tough time differentiate. You're doing both if you're personal training. It just happens to be called personal training, in my opinion. Yes. Um, so it's so so traditionally, like what I would imagine we will do is like coaching. Whereas there are some people, if you li literally just see people, say for a class, and you don't talk to them apart from in the class, I would classify that as training. So I do I do a um, I do a group class for for a company in in the UK that's on Zoom. But I don't, uh, I mean, I would still, I guess you can still call it coaching, but it's certainly nearer the training end of the continuum because I don't see them apart from when we're exercising. We say hellos at the beginning, goodbyes at the end, and I give them form tips. But I would count that as a training session. And then if I was doing check-ins with them, I'd say that I'm coaching them. Yeah, interesting. I, I, so for me, the what's what's been really interesting and and I've made this really, I want to. I don't want to go in the direction of business that my time it scales. So, in theory, if I create a program that's really awesome for weight loss and strength training, and it's twenty-five pages and it's a PDF, and I can get a million people to buy it for five bucks, then that's amazing, right? That's more sure. money than I'll ever make doing personal training. Mm. Uh, well, maybe not ever, but like it's yeah, it's, yeah. Incredi it's incredible scale, like, yeah, the, yeah. You, the way that you can scale that so yeah. I, I think one of the biggest things that that the distinction should be are you going to spend one hour of your time with that person to help them to move towards their goals right because if you're not so you know because i have i have all my workout plans from all of my clients because i just happen to do it through google drive and, you know, if a 40-something-year-old male that wants to get strong shows up, I could just cut and paste one of my client's plans and just email it to them and charge them 50 bucks. That's an amazing use of time. That would, that would be 50 bucks a minute. That would be like 3,000 or 30,000. I don't know, like 3,000 bucks an hour. Like if you can get them all lined up. If, yeah. I, if I can get that. Well, I mean, for that hour, right? I mean, I yeah. spent a minute of work. I made 50 bucks. Right. It doesn't, it's not regular income, but it's awesome. But, mm. but what I'm, what, what I, the value that I'm trying to give is that, that you get an hour of time with me where I optimize you moving towards your goal. So the goal setting is a conversation, is almost always a conversation. Very rarely do I have somebody come to me with a smart goal. Right and be like, I can deadlift this. I want to deadlift this by this amount of time. These are the problems where I'm. This is the areas where I'm having problems. I have no injuries. Let's go. That's incredibly rare, right? So just even the time that I'm spending with them, we're refining their goals. Um, you know, I have the ability to understand their the issues with their movement patterns, their medical history, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching in terms of like mental barriers, right? Like you give out this amazing plan of working out four times a week. And they don't show up, right? They're not doing it. So there's that periodization. You adapt the program. Like uh, at this point in my career, I'm doing things where like the first four to six sessions, the plan is very fluid, mm. right? And it's really adapting to their needs, to what they like, what they respond well to, all of that. And then it sort of crystallizes into this program for this period and then it'll adapt and change based on their goals so all of that stuff at its core the really big difference is do you actually get an hour of my time right and whether it's via zoom call whether i'm coming to your backyard and staying 10 feet away with, from you with a mask on wh whatever the whatever the delivery method is do you get an hour of my time 
And then there's the other stuff that's like very easy to sort of replicate, right? Like you create the, the new 531 and you sell it to people and you do little check-ins, right? And so that becomes really scalable. So then that one works really well. So like the dieting things that I'm doing, it's, I could probably do about six people per, I've only gotten groups of two so far. Um, it's new, but I could probably do about six per so that my time becomes much better used, right? Like the first presentation is always the same. Right. Anyway, so that's that's my thoughts on the on the difference. So if you're if you're a consumer, what you should be asking is, right, do you get how much time do you get with that person to address your specific goals, your specific needs? How much time are they refining what you're doing versus are you buying into a plan? Right. And then if you're buying into a plan and these plans are amazing, just make sure the goals that the plan is moving towards are, your, are also your goals. Yeah, it depends how much time you need, I was going to say. Yeah, which, is, which would be part of, the, part of that decision. Yeah. That's great. But have you guys also seen, so I've seen, so the, the owner of the gym where I work now is going through some like intense business coaching right now with some big fancy person. I don't know much about that, <laughs> but I know she is currently working on developing like her own coaching programs um, that, that, that are all virtual, um, you know, things like, like her, for hers as an example, it's called master your minimums. And cause she likes working specifically with like women who are older than 40, who struggle with, you know, making health and fitness a part of a nutrition, part of their lifestyle and she takes a very moderate, you know, moderation approach and, you know, um, teaches people how to just get like minimum, set minimum goals for movement a day, minimum nutrition goals that are easily attainable that you can build off of. You know, she's got a whole thing. But yeah, what do you guys think about? And then another trainer in my gym is taking the same big, fancy, expensive business coaching course. And so she's developing her own program that's all about like, core movement. So you sign up and it's like 40 days of core training that you can do at home, 15 minutes a day. It's like teaching you how to like connect with your breathing and really connect with your core and your pelvic floor. Sounds fascinating, but yeah, it's a way to get people to pay up front, like like $200, let's say for like an eight week coaching course about insert topic here. Um, and apparently that is 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 an interesting new option for I, I mean i don't know how long you know people have been doing stuff like this but what do you guys think about programs like that for trainers so all, all of that stuff is like super duper common i just wanted to ask about that second one the core one how many hours of that trainer's time live will the students have Good question. So that program specifically, um, she will send out pre-recorded 15-minute core. Uh, so that would be, that's a zero. Yeah, so that's a zero. But And then once a week, it's a live session with her. In a group, how much? group setting. In, in a group setting. And her class, it's a 40-day program. She's only charging 99. She 99, bucks, 99 bucks per 40 days? For 40 days. And, and how many people are involved there? I don't know how many people she has signed up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's like that's that's a that's basically group fitness. That's basically a group fitness model, right? Like I have a thing that I teach. It, whether there's four people on the Zoom call or four hundred people on the Zoom call, what I'm doing is roughly the same. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to teach. Well, if everybody who shows up has diastasis recti and can't do a plank, 
I'm still minute four is still a plank because that's what the program is, right? Because so that's I'm, very I'm, scalable. I'm, I'm delivering. Yeah, it's, it's very scalable, but I'm just sort of delivering a set thing, right? Yeah. So, so it's a very good business model. It's a super good business model. Yeah, because I'm honestly trying to think about like, you know, so I have these group classes now I'm going to teach every week. I'm starting to get one-on-one -on -one clients, but how can I make more passive income with stuff like that? And not passive as if like I wouldn't work hard, but something where I could, you know, set up a program, um, like I said, with set up, you know, do the, do the work on the front end and then have people you know, sort of go through it. Cause that seems to be a great way to get more passive income on the site and possibly then convert some of those people into one-on-one -on -one personal training clients. Like if they like the way that you coach them through whatever program they signed up for, you know, then, you know, you build that relationship with them, you know, they want to come, um, you know, for, for one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I, I, uh, anyway, let's, I'll let others jump in. I have, I have some thoughts on that. I think the big answer to the question is there is no like standardization as far as this terminology goes in the personal training industry. Absolutely. I think I think you gotta tell you if you're in if you see a trainer and you're interested, go on their website, go on their social media, see what it is that they actually offer because you know it mm. might say personal training and you think this is gonna be an hour one on one with this person, and that's not what it is at all. So yeah, and it yeah. just varies. It could it could say coaching and then and then you'll come coaching. on this and you'll be like Fred, you said it was coaching. You said that it wouldn't could just be the, the session. Could say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, no standardization. Actually, that is that's definitely right. Yeah, or at least inconsistent standardization. We'll yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I quite like the uh, like coaching course kind of method. Um, I was before Christmas. I was putting together. Um, well, I did put together a plan for. Um, I called it like it was that holy hit. That's something else I worked on, but yeah, that is essentially the same thing. Where it's like a program I made and I sell it, and then I like I put in the hours and the time to make it, mm. and you buy it, and then I don't have any contact time with you. Yeah, it's just a program to sell, but um, it can be really win-win. Yeah, yeah. Um, but before Christmas, I was working on one of those coaching like courses where it's like. Five weeks. Um, I think I was gonna do two one-hour sessions, um, but in each session I was gonna have five people, um, if that many signed up. Mm -hmm. um, they all paid the same amount, and it's set for five weeks. So it's only two hours of my time, but I'm getting five people's worth of like, um, what would you call it? Kind of like, yeah. I'm, it's just like. Um, more efficient scalable yeah. yeah 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 i'm getting five hours worth of training in one and they're all paying me the same amount of money yeah and it's not like and it's not like they're all getting 20 percent of a session it can be that it adds up if you add everybody's i mean obviously you can't really do this but hopefully you'll follow my logic sometimes you know sometimes a group session can be like you know let's say 50 percent as much knowledge transferred as a as a personal session Let's, let's argue this sometimes. And if you've got 10 people who are getting 50% of the value of the, of the one-on-one, -on -one, then, you know, 500% of the value by, you know, by my logic, hopefully you guys are following. Um, so it's actually massively win-win because it's cheaper for them, more efficient for you. There's situations where it doesn't work, of course. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be really, really good. 
message. Okay, so uh, can I can I give an example of what you're describing in terms of my career? So I have a group fitness class that I used to run at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. Um, and because it was 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, it was mostly folks sort of at the, that had very flexible careers or at the end of their career. So it tended 50 plus. It tended 50 plus. When I took over the class to approximately a year later, my core people, the people that were there basically every week, right? So 50-ish classes, uh, and it was the same people every week, you know, they had a core competency in squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, and core stability work. They had gained the competencies of all of those things. Um, so for, for Lindsay, this, this is another one of the things that I talk about when I teach people how to teach group fitness. Each class, pick one thing that you're going to really hammer down. So like one week, I'd be like really fo focusing on the feet during squat. And then next week, I'd be really focusing on the hip hinge during squat. So anyway, long story short, by, by focusing on little bits of all these big movements over the course of a year, the 12 or so super regular people, all of them became really good at all of those movements right? Like the five things that I would teach on squat, I was looking at those people and I was like, wow, other than adding more weight, I, I, there's nothing more for me to show these people, right? They're probably just coming to this class because it's habitual and it is a good workout. So like, not only are we learning how to squat, but we're also doing lots of sets of squats and maybe this is your exercise. Anyway, so how long does it take for me to do that with a one-on-one -on -one client? Probably in the neighborhood of three weeks. Right. So these people became incredibly competent three weeks, three times a week. Right. They became really incompetent over the course of a year with a personal training client one on one with all of those movements. Maybe maybe I'm being a little exaggerated. Maybe it's six weeks, six weeks of three sessions per week to gain the same level of competency for all of those things with multiple clients. Right. Core, carry, lunge, squat, hinge, push, pull. So right? you're telling me so. So just to just to push back. Um, you're telling me that if you had a session with five, okay, let's, let's even make this easier. You've got three people. Don't you think you could teach if three people were in the room with you, don't you think it would, it would be a lot quicker than seeing them separately to get them all to the same level of competency, competency on something? How different are they? But yeah, three for sure. Three. I mean, I've, I've said three would be personal training, mm. right? Like if it's, three brothers that are you know 21 24 and 27 they all played the same sports growing up one six two 180 the other one's six foot 185 and the other one's 510 165 right i'm like okay well this is like basically three near clones right yeah. versus but but let me push back on that so you've got your three people right you have one of them and this person needs to see value they're a triathlete the other person is 200 pounds overweight and has never exercised in their life. And the third person is 15 years old and would love to take up volleyball. So even with this example, I would suggest adding in yeah. stuff like rest time. You know, yeah. there's, sometimes they're resting. Sometimes, you know, there's there's stuff that's, you know, there's stuff like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got to have both it. feet on the floor during the squat. That like, you know, that, that, every, that it's going to be standardized across the board. I still think... You know, there's situations if they're like, I need to learn my squat in three weeks for sure, yeah. personal training. But I, you know, I think time efficiency, even in a horrible like example, I think, you know, can't be uh, understated. Mm -hmm. And one of my biggest passions is group fitness. But I think if you're looking to be a group fitness instructor, you need to recognize the difference between that and personal training. 
Um, and so one of the, one of the things that I, so I have a personal training studio that I run and I open and I'm, I'm the owner of it. Um, and I run personal training myself out of that location. Um, and, and I very strongly push towards one hour of my time is for you. We are getting to be together one-on-one. -on -one. I'm taking notes. I have your goals. This is my time. And, and I don't want to, on purpose, I don't want to scale it up. Right, I don't mm -hmm. want an eight thousand square foot facility where I can have twenty five people per class. Like the F uh, is F forty five popular in England? Yeah, I've heard of it. The classes, yeah, not super popular, but it's it's around. Yeah, so it's like super popular around here. It's the classes are amazing. I really like the classes. They're really high quality, hit classes and strength classes and stuff like that. Incredibly scalable, but like they're not they're not what personal training is. So I think that as a, as the professional delivering, you should just be super clear on what you're delivering and mm -hmm. then you'll attract the right people, right? Mm -hmm. Like my my Monday night uh, boot camp or it's a hit class my monday night hit class it's the same group of folks for years most of them triathletes and or that level and so it it fits them really nicely right mm. but if i get somebody that has very different goals i want to spend the time one-on-one -on -one. i want to do that coaching i'm a huge advocate for the classic model of like one-on-one -on -one personal training where you're together for the hour and you're doing that thing and it's not scalable at all. Yeah, and you really iron stuff out. Whereas in group classes, like, uh, you know, completely one-on-one -on -one training, I think it absolutely has a massive ginormous place, like for sure. Because in group classes, like you might miss something for ages. Like if it's something subtle, you can miss it for ages. Or it could just be like, you kind of saw it, but they don't know that it's important enough. So don't get me wrong. One-on-one -on -one is amazing, but also group can be super efficient. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a massive fan. I'm teaching like large group classes. Like, um, cause I'm, they're like all the classes I've ever taught usually have 20 to 30 people in. Um, oh, big class. I always just find that really awkward to try and like, like you know, if you're doing an exercise and they're doing it for like 30 seconds, you see someone doing something, so you quickly run over, say something to them. By the time you've run over and said it, it's like, okay, now we're moving on. And then I always, yeah, and then you always keep an eye on that person, but then. And you feel like you're picking on them. So when I, I, I was in, a, I was in a, a, a working at a gym in Bristol only for a few months, and so like, yeah, like a hit class. There's like, yeah, there's like quite a lot of people. And I would find that I wouldn't even be able to give that person the feedback because I wouldn't want to feel like I'm picking them out because you'd be picking them out because you can't give feedback to everybody. So I'd be like, okay, everybody, everybody, you need to do this when actually I'm just looking at one person doing it like completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah there's definitely tricks for that, but absolutely for yeah. sure. Smaller, smaller classes where it's like 10 people. That's, that's fine. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm, that's what I got used to. Manageable. And that's a big thing that I super respect about the gym that you're at, Lindsay. I, when I've looked at their videos uh, of their classes and stuff, those class sizes are really manageable, right? Like I think I think I saw one of them. I was like scanning; it was like ten people. As long as if I knew those people and they'd come a couple times, you know, and I know where to look, right? Like 
Jim always lets his toes come up during the squats. Like I just got to run over and keep reminding him to, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't fall back into your heels kind of thing. You can give really great attention. Um, and if it wasn't a pandemic, my initial private training studio was going to be able to accommodate eight per, eight person group fitness because I felt like it, it mixed in with personal training because I felt like at eight people I could still give good enough attention. Um, and I think like to just from my story, um, though the super individual attention means that a lot of my clients have been with me, you know, two, two ish times a week for more than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, you know, my, my retention is like getting close to averaging a year. So, uh, if that's the kind of business that you want to make, right. Um, because I, I mean, once I got to pick it up just a tiny bit more, I just need a couple more like this coming week, you know, I have close to 30 sessions this coming week. Um, I got to pick it up just a tiny little bit more. And, and we got to get this like the lockdown to end here. But you know, if you have a solid group of about 20 clients, if this is what you like, if you have a solid group of about 20 clients, you can ditch the hustle of winning new clients. Which is the biggest part, because if you're if you're creating these programs, repeatable programs that scale up, then you're just spending a lot of your time hustling to get new people. And if you're really good at it, then you've built up that ten thousand, hundred thousand, one million Instagram List. or Facebook yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're gonna you're gonna kill it. I'm never gonna make like there's a couple folks online. Uh, that are just doing like mad fit. I don't know if you've heard of uh, her. She's a former pro competitive dancer, but now does sort of like music video based workouts. So she'll pick really popular songs and do awesome workouts to them and stuff like that. The amount of money she makes per video because of, uh, because of ads and averaging somewhere like 2 million views. That's like really great. It's a totally sustainable and, and excellent income, et cetera. So you'll never make that, but I don't like that. Right. I got my 20 people. We have, we talk about things that we enjoy talking about every now and again, plus one, minus one people move in and out. Um, and I can see incredible development, right. From never being able to do, like I couldn't, couldn't put two lunges together to running her first marathon. Right. Like that's a fun journey uh, mm-hmm. to, to be with somebody, very satisfying journey. No, I, th- I think you hit it right on the head, Adrian. And yeah, that's why I'm so happy to be where I'm at because yeah, like uh, most of our one-on-one clients at Trivergence Training, that's my gym, Sam wearing our hoodie. <laughs> nice. um, the, most of our one-on-one clients actually come from group classes. You know, they are people who still come to group classes. Those are their workouts in between their one-on-one sessions with us. Um, and so a lot of, and so a lot of people come to us for the group classes and then convert into one-on-one, um, because they do see that, you know, we do help them. Like actually this morning, um, I helped teach a, uh, Metcon class, metabolic conditioning, and we had a brand new, brand new client. And she, you know, she was trying out her first workout, hadn't worked out in like three years, you know, and everybody else in the class had been coming, going for coming here for two years. You know, they knew what to do, you know, and the poor thing was just like, totally lost. And so I was able to give her like a lot of, I mean, I I couldn't give her all of my attention, but was able to give her as much one-on-one attention as possible and help get her set up. And I think that's why people like coming to us. Mm. Um, But yeah, no, yeah, it's a great model. Yeah. Yeah. And the the one, the one-on-one has has got some elements that you really can't get to in group. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I have to go pretty soon, um, but I wanted to touch on something super quick that's been sort of brought up a little bit. So, mm -hmm. Lindsay, you were saying that the owner of Trivergence is doing leadership and career coaching, and I think somebody else was saying that they had done something like that. Uh, I have been doing uh, career coaching and leadership coaching and those things for years now and uh, have spent thousands of dollars on it. And for me, the value for those for that doll is huge is absolutely it's gold right it's it's on par with i don't know if this has ever happened to you where you hire a personal trainer to help you with something and they find a thing that just changes the game where you're just like doing squats and stuff they're like oh look uh, just move your elbows like this uh and 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 hold the bar a little wider that's gonna fix all your back pain right and you're just like what do you mean uh uh Oh my God. And suddenly your squats feel amazing. And in 20 you, years, if you hadn't done it, if you hadn't yeah. heard it and you would go back and you would pay thousands for that. Like, exactly. One thing. Exactly. Yeah, and so, yeah. so there was this, I think, Oh, what, I don't remember who it was. There's a super famous quote about like, you know, this, this, uh, was it Jefferson? Anyway, this, this, uh, there was a, there's something broken uh, with the generator. I'm going to try to look up the quote. So somebody else talk while I look up this quote because it's magical and it's exactly why I think leadership is super important. One second. Well, yeah, no, that, but th so this, this phenomenon happens to me, especially in drumming, because there's, there's some subtle things that you can do and not do. And there's just things that go under the radar. And it's like, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what's so valuable, valuable about um, like coaching. And with, you're saying with career coaching, it's, it's like, say, say you pay a couple hundred quid for this like career coaching. It's, if you think about like the butterfly effect over the next like 20 years, if it's a good coaching, that's how you can really like, if you think you won't make $300 back in 50 years of your life from the course, then you can say it's a, like a ripoff. Yeah. You know? Here's the, here's the, here's the one It's from Henry mm. Ford. Henry Ford once balked at paying $10,000 to general electric for work done troubleshooting a generator at one of his factories um, and asked for an itemized bill. The engineer who performed the work said, making chalk mark on generator, $1. <laughs> Knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. Ford paid the bill. So the story of that, of course, is just that, you know, this, it's, it's literally that moment, that aha moment, if somebody can, and it's, it's rarely that like, just do this with your elbow and suddenly the whole game changes. It's not like that. It's more like, 10 to 15 solid good things that you can use regularly that make you just a better coach, right? Mm -hmm. And a better trainer. And uh, because the leadership coaching often has really useful components, you're better in relationships. You're better at communicating, mm. right? You're better at dealing with people that are completely unreasonable, right? <laughs> because you just understand, oh, oh, hold on. The, the effect that it's called, I'm blabbing now, but I, I love this stuff, is this whole idea of being behind the waterfall. So have you ever been in like an internet fight or a Facebook fight or, or maybe even in person, you're like fighting about a topic 
And be, the idea of being behind the waterfall is this idea of that you can step back and you'd be like, wait a second, we're not actually having an argument. We're trying to convince each other of something. We're just screaming at each other, yeah. right? So you're just watching the waterfall go, right? And as soon as you have that behind the waterfall moment, you could be like, well, if I'm bored, I can spend the next 30 minutes arguing with this person, knowing that neither of us is going to get anything out of it. But now that I've realized that this entire discussion has nothing to do with us communicating, it's just us violently disagreeing about something i could just be like okay cool i don't i'm not interested anymore right mm -hmm. um and so lots of really awesome things from coaching that like you know that really um have made all the other assets of my life aspects of my life way valuable and if you one other issue is if you haven't if you haven't paid for it you're much less likely to implement it as well which i find is a really annoying one because sometimes i'll pay for like i'll pay for a course on something and then i'll be like well i already i already knew this but i just wasn't implementing it and now i'm actually going to implement it because i got skin in the game i think that's that's another benefit of, of like coaching as well fitness coaching mm -hmm. agreed 